welcome to the Production Talk podcast with me, Jan of MixArtist.com.au. In this podcast series, we celebrate the modern way of producing music. We want to talk about all things related to songwriting, recording at home and music production. So if you produce your music at home, this is the place to be. Please subscribe and recommend this podcast to all your friends. Hello and welcome to episode one of Production Talk. Production Talk is a podcast about music production in the 2020s. We want to talk about everything that is relevant to producers who record themselves at home, in their bedrooms, in their rehearsal rooms. And we want to talk about the ongoing shift away from big recording studios to more home production in bedroom style uh, makeshift studios. My name is Jan. I'm a, a sound engineer. I've got about 20 years of experience in uh, recording, in uh, mixing, in ma some mastering, in all kinds of uh, areas in the industry. I've also um, worked for a very long time as an educator explaining the ins and outs of audio production. Um, for a couple of years, I was the manager of Custom Series 75, where we built large-scale analog consoles. That was a fun time. Nowadays, I run mixartist.com.au, which is a specialized website for mixdown services. And I've noticed over time that most of the productions that I receive nowadays are actually not recorded in a large-scale studio under you know, acoustically perfect conditions. But uh, more and more productions come in uh, that were recorded in home studios, in garages, in rehearsal rooms, um, sometimes in community halls and all kinds of uh, locations with very simple gear. Effectively, musicians bring their computers, an audio interface, a handful of microphones, and just have a crack at it. And uh, the quality of these productions uh, is actually quite respectable. So I thought um, I would like to launch this podcast to give everybody a little bit of help and support along the way. Because if there's one thing for sure, um, you don't need to spend big dollars anymore to produce your music nowadays. You can do a lot of things with um, very basic and simple gear. However, on the other hand, um, if you don't record in a pro studio, you don't have the help and advice from professionals around you. And this can make uh, producing yourself at home uh, a little bit of a lonesome experience. And sometimes it can be frustrating if things don't really uh, work out as expected straight away. So um, in this podcast, I'd like to share all my experience with you so that you have a better understanding of how to produce And I would like to model everything that I'm talking about here around the problems that my clients uh, see when they, when they produce at home. So, in other words, uh, I've looked at all the mixes I've done in 2020 and uh, all the things that I struggled with. And um, some of them are simply uh, little recording oversights that made it really hard in the mix later. And uh, those are the little things that I want to talk about to make it better and easier for everybody to record at home. Good. My vision is to make this podcast a go-to place for um, musicians who produce themselves all over the world to find information, to have their questions answered, to get inspiring insights from interviews and uh, subjects that we want to cover. And my goal is uh, to get you to a place where you are very happy recording yourself at home without any big problems or frustrations. 
Along the way, we want to talk about a lot of technical details. So I would like to uh, answer questions about, uh, I don't know, things like sample rate uh, that cause a lot of confusion, bit depth, and all the technical bits. But most importantly, it's all about capturing yourself as the performer and capturing performances right. Um, when you talk about somebody who's experienced, like myself, uh, where is that actually coming from? So if you just look at the work experience and take this apart for a moment, it's actually people who have experienced all the mistakes one can possibly make and found their ways around them. So if you think about um, the path from songwriting to a finished project uh, and visualize this in your mind, there are lots and lots of little stepping stones along the way. And every single one of them uh, means you can make good or bad decisions. And an experienced producer is somebody who can navigate through all of these little steps without making bad decisions and just keeping it on a good track. Uh, yeah, and that's why I want to share uh, all the mistakes that I've made in the past. Um, and I want to tell you what I think is important. Uh, there are definitely lots of uh, resources out uh, today that focus on all the wrong things and um, sometimes give people the impression that in order to produce yourself at home, all you need to do is buy the most expensive plugins and learn all about sidechain compression. Well, nothing against sidechain compression, but um, there is a place for it, definitely. But uh, that doesn't mean everybody needs to do that. And uh, the simple solutions, in my opinion, are usually what, um, what makes a recording uh, really phenomenal. So yeah, and that's basically how I uh, approach um, production in general and also my mixing that I just try to fix, you know, or to do things with the least amount of effort or the most basic means first. Um, I know about all the complex uh, solutions, but I leave them only for when I really need them. And this is probably the first bit of wisdom that I want to share with everybody. Um, keep it simple, as people like to say, keep it simple where you can. Good. But before we go too much into detail, let me just um, tell you a little bit more about myself. Um, you've probably figured this out by now. Uh, I have a pretty thick accent and I'm guilty as charged. Born a German, lived for the first 30 years in the northern end of Germany in Hamburg, where I uh, started as a musician. I played the drums for, for many years. Uh, um, played in many different bands, a lot of punk rock and metal and uh, things like this in those days. So I found myself in recording studios watching these two big reels spinning and, you know, the big boards with all the knobs and pots and got really excited about all of this and at some stage decided that um, as a drummer I was probably not quite talented enough. Mm, I should rephrase this. Talent is a a really strange term. Let's say I wasn't dedicated enough. That's a better way to phrase it. I wasn't dedicated enough to make a decent living from uh, from being a drummer. And there were so many other drummers who were so much better and more dedicated than I was. So I decided to switch careers and um, basically swapped sides, got off the stage and to the other side of the room behind the console. I studied um, sound engineering in the late 90s in Hamburg. And immediately after, made myself um, uh, self-employed, started my own little business, which has uh, gone through a lot of different challenges, ups and downs, but um, yeah, it's been going ever since. Um, then in 2006, um, I got a job offered in Australia, I dropped everything that I owned and rushed over and started a new life. And that's been the very best decision of my life. 
I've met my wife here. Uh, I've settled down on the East Coast. Uh, I have hundreds of friends here, uh, the most amazing music, uh, musical community around me. And I feel really blessed uh, to be here and speaking to you today. So um, over the years, I've uh, produced, um, well, hundreds of songs in the studio. I definitely have lost count. Um, in small studios, in really big, fat, large studios, under uh, most challenging conditions, with the most crappy gear sometimes, or the most amazing gear. And what I've learned uh, through all of this is that, in the end, um, my mixes always sound like me, even if the gear that I used was a little bit dodgy. Eventually, I found my way around and shaped the sound again to sound like, like me. Um, uh, sometimes it's harder, sometimes it's easier, but in the end, the outcome is always uh, a mix that um, sounds unmistakably like, like yours truly. So, um, and that made me think about the importance of um, uh, really expensive gear. So do you really need to buy yourself um, a $10,000 vintage tube microphone? I would definitely say that there's a place for it and some people should do it. However, that's um, not the majority of us. Um, most of us can uh, achieve really, really good results with, uh, you know, cheaper microphones and uh, cheaper gear. So um, I'm a big advocate of keeping it simple, and I would literally go as far as stating a really controversial, bold statement that in 2021, any gear you buy, let it be uh, your computer. Uh, your audio software, which we call a door, digital audio workstation, audio interfaces, cables, microphones, all of this gear is absolutely phenomenal. I don't think you can buy a bad sounding interface in 2021 anymore. There are probably some that sound better than others, but the degree is fairly small. And even for a fairly low budget, you get an interface that has a very low noise, uh, next to no distortion, and if gain staged correctly, will give you an absolutely clean, transparent tone that can definitely be mixed into something great. And the same with microphones. Um, if you just buy some standard microphones, we'll talk about uh, your microphone locker in another episode, um, you can definitely uh, produce yourself at home. So, in other words, the gear is no longer the limiting factor, in my opinion. What is, is the performance the headspace that the musicians are in, definitely the room acoustics, those are the things that, uh, that cause trouble. So what do I talk about here? What, what are we talking about when I talk about your performance? You're probably here because you're a musician and you consider yourself being a good performer. And that's exactly where we need to start. That's something what we, that we should take for granted, that you love playing music and uh, that you're very happy with your own performance and that you're ready to record. So now visualize yourself um, in, in a room with your instrument or with your microphone if you're a singer and you really dedicate yourself to the music and you start playing or singing and getting into the spirit and at the same time now you need to be a recording engineer and suddenly there's a little uh, pop-up window, um, a driver issue or your protos crashed or um, something happens. And suddenly you're out of your musical bubble and you're focused on downloading the latest driver or rebooting your computer or whatever this may be. So the real challenge today is to be two things at once, to wear two hats, to be the performer 
and also the recording engineer at the same time. And that's, I think, a real problem because um, staring at screens and having all the visual cues and the colorful plugins and all of this uh, can uh, yeah, suck you out of your musical little blissful bubble and drag you ever so slowly and consistently into the world of uh, logical thinking about driver issues, ones and zeros, and all the problems that you may face. And I think this is the most limiting factor nowadays, that people s simply struggle to, um, to record themselves fluently and effortlessly so that they can actually focus on the performance again. And there's a lot that can get lost along the way of being a musician. So my first message to you today is, please, 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 if you find your musical blissful place where you perform just um, from the bottom of your heart, hold on to the space and never allow your recording gear to interfere. And that's a really, really difficult thing. That's a much bigger problem than the slightly higher noise floor of a cheap interface compared to a high price audio interface. So at least that's my take on it. And um, along the line in this podcast uh, series, I would like to talk about lots of workflows. I want to talk about how to make the recording effort as simple, effortless and uh, easy as possible. Good. The other thing that I spoke about just briefly was the uh, room acoustics that you might be recording at. And that is definitely a point that we need to talk about. And we'll probably go into more detail in future episodes. But if there's one thing for certain, the uh, recording studio in your, in your area will probably have a much cleaner and drier and uh, neutral sounding uh, room to record in than you might have in your rehearsal room or at home. And that can be a good or a bad thing. More often than not, it's actually a good thing to record in a cleaner or deader sounding room. Um, like I'm recording my podcast right now. It's a, in a really fairly treated room that doesn't have too much reflections and noise and interference. Um, if you ever try to record at home with the window open and you listen later, you might hear with your headphones on all the little things that were going on in the background that you didn't even notice when you performed. But the microphone captures it, and while you can tune out of it while you sing or perform your guitar takes, later when you listen back, all these things pop up again. And uh, then they're in your way and might cause some trouble. So um, more importantly than investing a lot of time and effort into your recording gear, first focus on the room acoustics and see what you can do. So can you work with the uh, windows closed? Does it get too hot? Maybe you just need to record for 20 minutes at a time and then you know open the windows to air it out for a moment or bring the temperature down. Um, all of those are methods that, that will uh, lead to better results. Um, have a good listen to uh, your microphone recordings. Maybe take a microphone, start singing, for a couple of minutes and then listen back with headphones on on what you recorded. This will give you a really clear idea of what else you can hear, what else but your voice you can hear. So can you hear reflections from the room? Can you hear any echoes? Can you hear um, flutter echoes or some hard sounding reflections, sometimes from tiles or glass? Um, all of those are things that um, you may want to consider. It's not always a bad thing, but make yourself aware about what's going on. 
Attention, attention! Some of the sound examples demonstrated in this episode require decent headphones or stereo speakers. On cheap earbuds, phone speakers or in noisy environments you may not be able to hear much difference. End of announcement. To demonstrate the difference acoustics can make, I'm going to record in different rooms in my own house. Let me take you for a tour. This is the sound of my bedroom. It's about a 4x4 four four meter bedroom, not very big, and uh, this is about the sound you get at, um, what is this, about, let's say, 20 centimeters distance. And now you're listening to the same microphone in my living room. The next stop is our bathroom. You can probably hear the reflections in this room, it sounds quite different. And at the risk of sounding like a real weirdo, I now took the microphone to our tiny little uh, toilet booth. It's uh, not even a meter wide, it's maybe one and a half meters long, and you can probably hear the sound uh, of this enclosed space. It's really weird. How much ambient noise can you hear? Is there any traffic noise present? Uh, can you hear cicadas or the sound of the ocean if you are lucky enough to live close by? All of these things are uh, um, stuff you should consider at least. So think about it, what do you hear and what can you do about it? Um, I found that every once in a while um, certain sounds can be magic in the background. So I've done some recordings in the Byron Bay hinterland in, in Australia where um, during the day the temperature rose and suddenly the cicadas kicked in and provided this background noise fairly loud you know, of, of uh, cicadas which um, ended up being in our recording. There was not much we can do about it and uh, there's no point trying to unequue that from the recording. So we just had to deal with this. And it actually turned out to add a certain beautiful magic, a really natural feel to, to that recording that I really like. So let's call this a lucky accident. The same might be the case if you can hear the ocean in the background and you do some beautiful uh, acoustic uh, guitar recordings maybe. Maybe that could be just the magic that makes it a little bit better. However, the same will probably not apply to, to the sound of a highway or um, a busy industrial estate. So be very careful what's going on in the background and choose a place to record that gives you the right vibe. If for whatever reason you hear uh, room problems, let's say um, uh, unnatural sounding or unpleasant sounding reverbs or echoes in the room, now it's time to play with your microphone and everything that you have at hand. So just do a couple of tests and point the microphones into different directions of the room. There's a very good chance that it may not make a big difference, but it will give you a bit of an idea of what the surface is that causes the most trouble. Often windows and tiles or um, metal sheets um, can sound really unpleasant and hard. And that's where you should probably start um, uh, treating the room. So uh, thick curtains, um, mattresses, um, anything that absorbs sound can help. And it comes down to experimenting and taking a day or two to just uh, putting up uh, things in the room and have a little uh, recording, have a little recording and test uh, how that changes the sound of your recording and play with that. And um, yeah, just a day of experimenting will probably help you to understand what's going on acoustically and how to take control of acoustics and shape it into a way that, that suits your music. And the principle is always the same. Set up, probably evoke a microphone, sing for a minute, record it and listen back on headphones. And then change something, do the same thing again and listen back on headphones. And then compare. 
and see what makes a difference, what doesn't. You know, um, try to move the acoustic treatment around to different places and see what a difference that makes. This little trick, uh, this little effort that you put in before you start recording can make a huge difference. Uh, the difference it makes to your, your music is something that uh, is of a magnitude that it will dominate or will be bigger than anything I could possibly tweak in the mix. So with all my EQs and plugins that I have, um, I could not possibly make such a dramatic effect on the beauty of your music than you can by shaping the sound of the room. That's something important to consider. And once you've got this sorted, the choice of your microphone almost becomes secondary. I have to say almost, because microphone choices are definitely not uh, irrelevant. However, I've found that once the acoustics are controlled, the effect of a microphone uh, becomes, well, let's call it less offending or no, not, not as big a contributing factor. But we'll talk about microphone choices uh, uh, in another episode when we talk about your microphone locker and all the details there. Good, okay. Um, another thing that I would like to briefly talk about is um, a production trick that I've seen many times last year. It's a trick that is advertised uh, in hundreds of different YouTube videos and it's uh, discussed in forums left, right and center and I can't stand it. It's called the Haas delay. Uh, it is actually causing more trouble than good in many situations, and it goes as follows. Um, the, the story is that in order to achieve a bigger, fatter sound, you simply record your guitar, vocal, or synthesizer line, or whatever this may be. Then you take the recorded channel and duplicate the channel. And then you simply take the mouse and drag one of the two a little bit to the right or to the left. By, well, uh, some people say 20 milliseconds, others say 30, sometimes 50, sometimes 8, depends on the source you read. And then you pan one of them hard left and the other one hard right. And what you will immediately hear is quite an impressive stereo effect, which is also known as Haas delay. Although I can see the advantage of it, it will cause major difficulties in the mix down because we live at a time where the majority of listeners will actually listen on very inferior playback systems. Well, love it or hate it, there's nothing we can do about it and I really wish everybody would listen to a really awesome stereo system in a, in a nice sounding room. But the fact is most people listen to their iPhone earbuds, sometimes even their phones crappy inbuilt speakers. Or what a lot of people do nowadays is use just mono uh, Bluetooth boomboxes. And here's the problem with that. When you use the Haas effect uh, with identical copies panned hard left right, but one of them is slightly delayed. Once that mono sums, it creates a really nasty effect that is called a comforter effect. Imagine that some frequencies cancel each other out, which leads to a dip in the frequency response. Rather than having all the frequencies, we have some too loud and others are way too quiet. And this is an ongoing effect that uh, carries on many, many times across the frequency spectrum. And uh, yeah, let's make a little demonstration for how a comb filter sounds on my voice. Attention, attention. Some of the sound examples demonstrated in this episode require decent headphones or stereo speakers. 
on cheap earbuds, phone speakers or in noisy environments you may not be able to hear much difference. End of announcement. This is my voice clean. This is my voice with harsh effect, hard left right panned. And this is my voice with harsh effect, monosound and the resulting comb filter effect. Well, this can be a desired effect sometimes for creative reasons. It's probably not what people in, uh, intend when they want to uh, use the harsh effect for wider, fatter stereo sounds. So, my recommendation is don't use the harsh effect uh, by simply copying um, a file to another channel and delaying it and panning. Instead, simply pick up your guitar or your synthesizer or whatever your instrument is, open up a new channel, record enable and record the same thing again. This is called double tracking. This is a little demonstration to show you how double tracking works. First and foremost, I would prepare one channel and uh, get that ready for recording. Then I'm going to perform the same sentence. Now you need to replace this with your musical phrase, of course, and record this on the first channel, which I'm panning to the left ear. Let's go for it. This little recording is just a friendly reminder for all our listeners to please subscribe. Good, okay, now that I'm done with the first take, I would then prepare the second channel, a new track, and pan it to the right ear and record enable and go back to the beginning and listen to the same thing again and record that again. This little recording is just a friendly reminder for all our listeners to please subscribe. Now let's play back both together. This little recording is just a friendly reminder for all our listeners to please subscribe. I hope you could hear that this is quite an impressive stereo effect and I really like it that way. But how does it behave when it's monopanned? Let's have a listen. This little recording is just a friendly reminder for all our listeners to please subscribe. You could probably still hear that they are both still clearly audible. At the same time, I don't hear any of the nasty comb filter effect. So, when I have the choice, I always prefer double tracking over the harsh delay effect. That is because when you perform the exact take again, the second time, you will play some things a little bit differently. I would call this human imperfections. A certain note might be slightly later, the next note might be slightly earlier. And maybe a note is a little bit louder than in the previous take or a little bit quieter. There's a constant change between the two. Although it's identical performances, they're not 100% identical. And the difference is what I would call another human error. And that is actually a good thing in my books. And the key point is that this difference is not consistent, it constantly changes. And that's what makes it work better on Bluetooth speakers. So please take a little mental note. The double tracking effect is absolutely amazing and anything that you want to sound big and powerful and thick. Think rock rhythm guitars, think metal guitars, think um, thick pad sounds. Uh, you can also think about backing vocals, you know, almost like choir or gang vocal sounding uh, effects. You just can't get the same effect from a, a monitor stereo plug-in or harsh effects. Instead, just double track it two times, four times, eight times. Uh, I guess that depends on how powerful and thick you want it to be. And uh, that actually will give you a much, much better sounding result. Okay, the harsh effect, uh, please don't use it in recording. It's a lazy way out. It doesn't sound good to my ears. And in the mix, I always pull a better result when I have double track takes rather than uh, the 
quick and easy way with um, copying something over to create a house effect. Okay, thank you so much for being with me today and listening to my first episode of the Production Talk podcast. Big thanks to Naren of Alchemy Audio for helping with the editing of this episode. I would really love to have you again in two weeks' time when the next episode comes out. This time we will speak about your microphone locker, what you may have already and how you get the most out of your microphones. If you liked this episode, please recommend this podcast to all your friends. And if you believe I deserve so, I would appreciate a five-star review. That would really mean the world to me. Thank you so much for that and speak to you soon. Bye for now.